Phantomaniacs, welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I am your host, Dave, and things are about to get spooky! That's right, it's time for Halloween! 31 days of Halloween is in full effect here at Needless Things. We're going to be doing spooky stuff all month long, mostly... Uh, there are a couple of Dragon Con leftovers that have to go up on the site. Uh, I had this past Wednesday, I put up my monthly previews look, which is not Halloweeny at all. And as a matter of fact, has a little bit of Christmas in it, which I normally abhor Christmas showing up before Halloween. But it's previews. It's the stuff that's coming out in December. And people get really upset if I don't do that post. It's like one of the most popular things we do here outside of the podcast itself. And I guess probably Jerry Chandler's posts. So Halloween is on the way. As always, I encourage you to get out and do something, whether it's going to the closest available theme park that does Halloween-y stuff, go to a corn maze, go to a pumpkin patch, uh, go to the Spirit Halloween store. That's the easiest one to do. Uh, if you don't have a spirit near you, which I, I don't know how that would even happen now, Target has awesome Halloween stuff. Dollar Tree has Halloween stuff. I spent like $24 on Halloween stuff uh, at Dollar Tree a couple of weeks ago. And, and no, it's not like licensed Jason Voorhees masks or Freddy Krueger gloves or anything like that, but it's fun Halloween-y stuff that we're going to, you know, put up in various spots around the house and do whatever. Uh, we have our Halloween display up outside. I say Halloween display. I don't even know what that means. We have our Halloween stuff up outside the house. Uh, ghouls and pumpkin-headed ghosts and whatnot hanging on the porch, lights out, that sort of thing. Uh, had a blast putting it out, and it really helped. You know, I, I think I've talked about this before, but after Dragon Con, sometimes I, I get a little down in the dumps because I don't have a creative purpose. And this year, jumped right into Halloween, got on top of some other stuff. I'm trying to keep myself busy. I've got projects coming up. Uh, we will be talking about the Halloween Puck and Fuppet show sooner than later. And, you know, lots of stuff going on. I'm trying to keep myself busy. Uh, one great Halloween thing to do, and I won't often recommend other people's podcasts, but... If you want a great podcast that's going to get you in the Halloween spirit, you've got to check out the Purple Stuff podcast. Uh, it's on Podbean if you look up Purple Stuff uh, podcast, which I, I don't know if you know this. Needless Things is on Podbean, too. There's a whole Podbean Needless Things page that's just the podcasts. And uh, so from there, if you search for Purple Stuff podcast, which I'm following, so you may be able to just look at the link that way but you want to listen to the purple stuff every just about every week i think they're doing an episode or a mini-sode about halloween stuff and they're all hilarious uh it's dinosaur dracula and sexy armpit uh matt and jay from those respective sites they're awesome they've got great chemistry they're hilarious and uh 
As a matter of fact, uh, Matt from X Enter- or from Dinosaur Dracula used to be of X Entertainment, and he's one of the reasons that I do the stuff that I do now because I, I loved his stuff so much. Although I will say he puts up a post now, and it just makes me think, why am I even doing this? Because he's just so naturally like funny and, and descriptive and, and whatever else. But anyway, Purple Stuff Podcast, go check it out. Next week on the Needless Things Podcast, it is time for a new needless commentary. Look at the date, you'll figure it out. And it is going to be the biggest, wildest, needless commentary we have done to date. I I will not tell you any more than that. I will just say it's either going to be amazingly great or amazingly disastrous, and it's going up either way, because i got to have some shit for next week. So be sure to check out at NeedlessThingsSite.com next week, next Friday, the new Needless Commentary. Next Friday, the 13th of October. Right? All right. This this one, if you follow uh, Needless Things Facebook group, or you follow me on Facebook as Elf. Well, I'm not Elf Phantasmus anymore. I'm just Dave West now. Uh, so follow me. Give me a friend request. Whatever. Then you may know that this one has been uh, a conversation for for a while. It's going to be great. You're going to enjoy it. You're going to love it. And and while you're loving it, go to Amazon. Let me ask you guys this. Uh, give me your feedback. On the Needless Things Podcast Facebook group page, shoot me an email at phantomtroublemaker at gmail.com or uh, just send me a direct message on Facebook. Would it be crass of me to do one of those posts where I say, here's a bunch of awesome horror movies and just include links to Amazon for you to buy them? Because as you know, you can go to needlessthingssite.com, click on the big Amazon box at the top right corner of the page, buy things through there, costing you nothing extra, but everything you buy gives me a little bit of a kickback so I can help pay expenses for the podcast, for the site, for all the stuff that I do. Uh, but if, if I made just a list of awesome horror movies and why they're awesome, or the best Halloweeny movies to get you in the mood for Halloween, whatever whatever the case may be. One of those crass lists that's just an excuse uh, for me to to advertise and and try to make some money. Would that be off putting and horrible? I mean, considering we've deviated from the five days a week format anyway. So if that was just an extra post, like there's no post that day versus crass commercial commercial fundraising post. I mean, really. So let me know what you think, and uh, I'll probably do it anyway. So there you go. Go to needlessthingsite.com, click on the big Amazon box, buy some stuff. doesn't cost you anything extra. Today's podcast episode. The first 31 Days of Halloween podcast. There could be nothing more appropriate than an interview with the big red machine, Kane. Live from Dragon Con. I had the great fortune to be asked to moderate a panel with Kane. Uh, well, I, I, I had the great fortune. I mean, it was definitely great fortune, but at the same time, it was, uh, me suggesting to our good friend, Mr. Derek Tatum, 
that it would be once Kane was announced as a guest, I, I shot Derek a message and I said, hey, we should do a panel called The Horror of Kane where we talk about the horror aspects of his wrestling career and the Ceno Evil movies. That would be really awesome. He's like, that would be awesome. And, uh, of course, I'd like to moderate it. And, of course, I did moderate it, which was a great honor for me. Uh, I can't thank Derek enough for doing that for me, for getting me uh, the opportunity to uh, just hang out with this guy who's one of my heroes. I, I love Kane. Uh, to me, he is the ultimate, uh, you know, very often company man is used as sort of a derisive term. But for me, I think a company man is a good thing in the way that Kane is because he has taken everything that WWF, WWE has ever given him. Uh, and he has, as, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin would say, made chicken salad out of chicken shit in, in many cases. Not in every case. And most of the time, Kane has got good stuff to work with and is just a badass monster. But every once in a while, he gets something that's not great and he's always made the best of it. Uh, and I think the world of him for that and his longevity with the company is nothing short of impressive considering uh, the turnover rate and the attrition rate uh, amongst professional wrestlers. Uh, I just think the world of this guy, and even more so after having sat through two panels uh, that I've moderated with him, this one, The Horror of Kane, with just Kane, and then later on uh, in the year we'll be posting a panel with Kane and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Now, I do have to tell you going into this, uh, normally I am very, very conscious of the quality of the Needless Things podcast. As a matter of fact, in the past, I have aborted episodes because the sound quality wasn't up to what I wanted. Those of you who follow along know that at DragonCon, I damaged my nice voice recorder that I've been using for years now and unfortunately had to record a number of panels with my phone which is not the best so for the first 10 minutes of my conversation with Kane here the quality is a little wonky Uh, I've run this thing through Levelator and everything I can think of and I cannot do anything to fix those first 10 minutes but the rest of it after that point it gets it's it's fine or it's better, at least, as good as my phone has ever recorded. So just bear with those first 10 minutes, and then after that, it's great. And the reason I publish this is because it's a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I mean, I I will never again have this conversation with the Big Red Machine Kane. So I hope you will forgive uh, some of the technical difficulties that I had, and otherwise enjoy the first 2017 installment of 31 Days of Halloween on the Needless Things podcast, The Horror of Cain. Ladies and gentlemen, I have some excellent news for you, or not, depending on how you feel about chokeslams and tombstone pile drivers. 
Please allow me to introduce to you, through hellfire and brimstone, the big red machine, Cage! How are you guys? For those that don't know, uh, I am Dave West, the owner and operator of NeedlessThingsSite.com and the Needless Things Podcast, and this is Kane. And he'll be doing all the talking today. I'm just here to... Can you say my name like that every time? I absolutely will say it every time. (laughs) I can't help myself. It's the wrestling announcer in me. Uh, So we're here today to talk about your wrestling career, and the more horror-oriented aspects of what you've done, and also uh, the See No Evil movies, because this is for the horror track, because we all love the horror track. And uh, we'll talk about how how the effect you've had on horror. Awesome. So I wanted to start with uh, Kane and how that came about, and and mainly the mask, because... I can't imagine uh, somebody walking up to me and saying, okay, here is this heavy leather mask that you're going to be wearing for an indeterminate amount of time. So when I first came into WWE, I had some characters that didn't work out too terribly well. <laughs> <laughs> My fault. Um, but what had happened was really was Undertaker. They were looking for an opponent for Undertaker. And because of my recent history... You know, they wanted they wanted it to be me because of my size, uh, but they also didn't want my face out there. So, right. Um, so they came up with this with this. It really forced everyone, I think, to think hard and be extremely creative. And as I understand it, initially this was one of those deals where they wanted to just you know do a one off and just they needed an opponent for pay per view. But they came up with this idea and this backstory, and then. Vince McMahon liked it so much that he decided to scrap the idea of just doing it for the upcoming pay-per-view and, you know, turn it into a full-blown storyline. Of course, that involved Paul Bearer um, talking about Kane for months before we ever saw Kane. Which, for me, if there was anyone that was going to have a successful debut, it was going to be Kane because there had been so much backstory built up. Okay, and I often say that I think it's the best piece of epic storytelling that WWE has ever done. In that, you know, it was like mythological, really. I mean, you had these two larger-than-life characters with, I say, mythological, much like you know, Lord of the Rings has mythology, and Star Wars and Star Trek, and they all have their own history. That's what this became, and uh, you know, and then that just sort of took the whole thing over. Um, but the reason for the mask was that, to keep my face hidden. And I remember the first time that I ever saw the creative concept for the costume. And um, you, know, you guys remember, of course, the mask and the one sleeve. And it even had the cape, which I only wore like a couple times. Um, and I was looking at it, I was like, man, you know, I was thinking more of Kane was a lunatic that had escaped from an insane asylum. So my thought was completely different. But what Vince wanted was Vince wanted a superhero in this case, a supervillain. And he said that the operative word was cool. He wanted Kane to be cool. Um, and then, of course, you had the pyrotechnic effect and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, 
So if they just say, hey, throw in this mask, that would have been one thing. But when they said, hey, we're going to make you one of the coolest characters in history wearing a mask, <laughs> that's a little different. So, but long story short, yeah, that, that was it. At what point in that buildup uh, that Paul Bearer was giving you, did you actually know what the character was going to be like? When did you get that revelation? Right of, oh, well, as far as as far as seeing the the, the, the actual concept, right? Yeah, not not until a little later. Okay, like I said, there had already been. I mean, they were already well into the story before I actually saw the the concept. You know, the audience. And Kane's debut is one of the most memorable moments in yep. WWE history. How did that go down? I was really nervous. <laughs> no, I was really nervous because it was Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels. Okay, and like yeah. their first ever real match. And um, I'm going, <laughs> so you want me to go out with those guys? <laughs> um, so, yeah, basically my thought process was more than anything, just don't screw this up. You know, and of course they had a tremendous match, um, which really... Uh, Initially set the bar fairly high for the Hell in a Cell match. That was the first one. Um, but you know, uh, a lot of stuff we do uh, is a creative collaboration, and and that's what that was. You know, the whole the whole pyrotechnic cue didn't happen really until they had they had you know, they wouldn't do a pyrotechnic cue, but we didn't know what it was. And then Taker was like, well, you know, Kane's the opposite of, of me, so I do this. Why doesn't he do that? And that's what blows the pyro. And he used to do that and bring the lights up, right? And I think at one point they had a pyro effect with that as well. Um, so a lot of stuff we do, like you, you were talking about, when did I see the concept? A lot of times things sort of happen, and um, it's an evolution. As, as things are going along, we get ideas, and that's the beauty of our business as well. Is um, through crowd reaction and participation and interaction, our business is unique because we can see what works and what doesn't, and we will tailor things to hopefully make them work. Sometimes we don't do a good job of that, but to make them work, to find out what the audience wants to see, and to give them more of that. And um, you know, I, I think that was sort of the, the deal. There is everybody's putting their mind together. It's almost like you're super. This happens all the time. We're standing around the ring, scratching our heads, going, what should we do? And then someone says, you know, well, let's try this. And then next thing you know, everybody sort of brainstorms and builds on it, and the thing happens. So, cool supervillain Kane had yeah. Vince McMahon's stamp of approval. Like, he, he was behind it, but at what point did you sort of realize, oh, this is working? Um, Again, I knew it was going to work from the beginning because, you know, if it's got Vince McMahon's natural rules, he's going to help make it work, of course. Um, we were doing a thing where, uh, do you guys remember when Undertaker and Shawn Michaels had the casket match at the Royal Rumble? So, I think it was the week before that, and we did a deal where uh, DX at that point, which was only Shawn and Hunter, Attack Taker. I was in Penn State at a state co or college, yeah, um, whatever it is, state college, Pennsylvania. It's Penn State University, it's area. And we're back we're backstage, and the people start chanting, We want Kane. Okay? And it was full. So there's a lot of them. And that was like, like oh, my gosh. gosh. You know, you realize 
realized that the people cared about the story. I mean, like, were emotionally invested. Um, and so I came out and I cleaned house and got rid of those guys. And they thought, you know, I, a lot of people tell me that storyline-wise, in the end, people never, you know, the fight between Undertaker and Kane, that's, that's okay. What people really wanted to see was Undertaker and Kane together. Okay? And that, of course, was the first time that you, to me that I felt that. Um, but, again, it was just the fact that, you know, you had, like, 15,000 people chanting. And it's like, okay, people are emotionally invested, right? And then, of course, at the pay-per-view, we did the deal where um, they had the, uh, the casket match. And uh, I ended up coming back out, you know, being the big hero, beating everybody up, chokeslamming choke Taker into the casket and setting the casket on fire. So <laughs> sort of pulled the rug out just a little bit. Uh, but that's what, what it was designed to do. You know, but I think that was the point that I realized, holy cow, this thing is, yeah, it's got some serious legs. You know, speaking of caskets, uh, I feel like you've dealt with more than your fair share of props and stunts and, and yeah. over-the-top gimmicks. What are some of the things that, uh, and, and you talked about how a committee kind of sits down, you, you guys are like, all right, what do we do now? What are some of the more, because, yeah, I mean, you're the king of the Inferno match. Like, like it's one of the first things I think of when I right. think of Kane. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, I, I, what was the planning like for that first Inferno match? <laughs> so, <laughs> it's beauty, beauty of what we did. Uh, <laughs> so, we don't, you know, we actually don't normally rehearse a whole lot of stuff. It's just that, that match was particularly dangerous. I mean, <laughs> frankly, it could be burnt. Um, so, <laughs> so, it was in Greensboro, North Carolina, and uh, we had a live event, I think, in Fayetteville, which is a couple hours away, and then after the live event, Taker was not in the live event. I was, uh, Paul, Barron, myself. After the live event, we're supposed to go back and do some stuff with the Inferno deal, okay? Um, so... So Paul and I, and they, they, they get, they had Paul and I a driver and a limousine because they needed us to go, you know, um, as quickly as possible, of course. And I was supposed to be on first at the live event so that we could get back in plenty of time to have a couple hours to go over, you know, the Inferno match. So, <laughs> so, whatever pulls up, I don't know if you call it a limousine, um, it was it was the most beat up <laughs> ratty limousine I've ever seen in my life. Um, we we take off, and uh, I mean I'm serious. It was it, it was it was like it was like the gold Impala or whatever that Dustin and, and Roddy Piper had. <laughs> you know, it was it was like that but a limousine, right? So anyway, so, so and the, the window didn't roll down. We stopped to get some eat at a drive through. We have to open the door, you know. So anyway, Paul and I go asleep go to sleep, right? So we wake up and we're, we're pulling in someplace and we thought that we were ready to go. This is before the days of GPS. The limousine driver had drove two hours the wrong way. Yeah. So, and then we didn't have cell phones either. So we have to get out and find a pay phone <laughs> to call and say, yeah, we're going to be a little late. So we end up, end up, uh, 
driving over to Fayetteville, okay? And the show, they're actually holding the show so that I could get there because uh, the card had gotten really messed up and they they, they needed me there because the, some of the advertised matches weren't going to be there. Literally, I got dressed in the limousine. I was I had a match against Vader. I get dressed in the limousine. Get out, run to the ring. We fight for a second, Vader and I do. Spill out to the floor, fight to the back. I got back in the limousine, and I was in the building maybe five minutes. Okay, then we drive back to Greensboro. Well, but this time it's like two in the you know two in the morning. So they're like, yeah, they we're not going to do a rehearsal, you know. And it's like, uh, so tomorrow we have this match where we could, you know, <laughs> and we're not going to have a rehearsal, but we did the next day. You know, we went through it a little bit. And um, uh, have any of you guys ever been set on fire? Okay, it's a unique experience. <laughs> Especially back then, because from what I understand nowadays with the stunts, uh, the pyro gel technology has really come a long way, and they can because uh, what they do is they here's how it works. Uh, and this is I'll give you a secret because this is Hollywood, this is not WWE. So anyway, they used to be they would put cooling gel on whatever fabric. That's that's why now they can actually do burns on the skin because it's the cooling gel and the pyro gel which burns. At, I mean, it'll still burn you very badly, but the pyro gel burns at a low temperature. So that's, you know, that's why they use it. But, um, and it's one integrated ingredient. Now, well, back then, they would put the cooling gel on whatever fabric you have, like the um, Kevlar or whatever, whatever the fireproof stuff is. And then they put the, uh, the pyro gel on top of that, and then they light it. And <laughs> so they're, they're, I'm working with the actual stunt guys. You know, and they're like, so you guys are going to do this real time, right? Like, yeah. And they're like, this would take us a week to do in Hollywood. I'm like, all right, brother, hit the match. So, <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, so we're out, out in the parking lot, you know, in, in sort of an area where the, the wind is blowing a little bit. Um, but yeah, so they light my arm on fire, you know, and I'm standing there going, okay, this is like sort of cool, but not really, you know. <laughs> and then you have to turn a certain way because, okay, say if this is your arm, if you turn that way, the flames are going to come right back into your face. Okay. So you turn that way and you keep your face away from it. And then, you know, then they tell me as soon, as soon as you feel anything, any sort of heat, you hit the ground and they're going to hit you with fire extinguishers because the heat indicates that the fire, that the cooling gel has evaporated. So there is no time frame. Okay. Once it's gone, it's gone and it will start burning. So that was my preparation for the inferno match. Seriously, I mean, you know, we went through a lot of, I mean, it was safe. It was just um, because they did take a lot of precautions, you know, and, and it was exaggerated a little bit. But um, nevertheless, I mean, you know, it would, some, some of the stuff that I've been able to do, um, I look back and I'm like, yeah, that was, you know, okay. You know, that was sort of cool. Um, but like that, you know, how many, how many people seriously would, you know, ever think that, they're going to get, you know, lit on fire and get to see, you know, get to see that. And so it, it's, it's, it's really cool. Some of the things that I've been able to do. So having made it through that first Inferno match, how did it feel when they came back to you and said, Hey, guess what? We're doing another one. <laughs> now the second one was after the first one, the second one, you know, I, I knew what worked and what didn't work. Um, the, uh, the Inferno matches, especially then uh, is, is, Difficult because the center of the ring is not hot. 
you know, because the heat isn't there. But of course, the first one was you're trying, you're supposed to throw your opponent in the, the, the flames. And it was very difficult because, you know, let me put it this way. You're, you're, <laughs> tell you guys another story. But, um, to do that, it gets really hot. Okay. When you're going, you know, there. I mean, if you're, if you're six inches away from the flame, it's hot. Um, when I did the one with Bray Wyatt, it was funny because, we were talking about doing moves in the match and Bray had just started and he was really worried, you know, about giving me a certain move. And he's like, you know, we're in the ring. Okay. And there's fire all around us and stuff, you know, and Bray's like, man, you know, are you okay with that? Cause I don't want, I don't want to do anything to make you feel uncomfortable. I'm like, brother, I'm standing in the middle of a gigantic barbecue pit. And I'm like, I'm pretty uncomfortable as it is. So, <laughs> but yeah, the, ne- the next one was actually, the next one was cake because we'd done the one, knew it worked. You know, and, you know, like I said, safety was never a concern. It was just, okay, what can we actually do to make this match good? Well, and that's you over the course of, of your career. You've been in five, and I would think five of that specific of a situation would be tough to keep fresh every time. Yeah, and now we've changed it, of course, where the uh, the Inferno match is a normal match, with uh, which makes it actually a little easier than with the flames around it. Uh, and people and, dig it. I mean, oh yeah, it's visually it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, everybody it's cool. knows what the Inferno match is, right? Yeah. Okay, good, good. Uh, and everybody knows what a first blood match is, right? So th- this one, uh, just from my personal fandom and, and years of watching wrestling, I felt like uh, the 1998 King of the Ring against Austin, the first blood match, was it was to me when it was presented such a challenge because. How do you make the big monster completely covered versus the guy in the black trunks who has plenty of flesh available to bleed? Like, how is this going to work? Was, was that how, how did that match go down? You know, I don't ever think that was. Uh, I don't ever think we really that was an issue, um, because well, there were a couple things were going on. I mean. You know, first of all, Austin at that point was, you know, he was on, he was going straight up, you know. Um, but actually, you know, what everybody remembers Mick Foley getting thrown off the top of the cage and then choke slammed through the cage. Well, Austin and I had to go out after that. We were the last match. Okay. So, you know, that, that's the thing is I won my, I won, I won my world champion, first world championship. And, um, you know, it was, you know, Mick stole the show. I mean, you know, uh, and got, you know, could have gotten very seriously hurt. Uh, so in the end, that, that's where it became the, you know, that was the big more story. The yeah. But what was really awesome about that though, and I was, I was on JR's podcast just recently talking about this was the fact that I won the world championship and the next night in Cleveland, um, King of the Ring is in Pittsburgh, and the next night I was in Cleveland. And a lot of people are like, well, yeah, you lost it the next night. Well, you know, the thing was that that crowd in Cleveland is unlike anything I'd ever seen. You know, I mean, they were just electric, and it was awesome. And, you know, it um, it was just tremendous. So as weird as it sounds, losing the world championship was probably more special than winning it was. <laughs> you know, because it was just, you could tell your, you know, you were part of something really, really big and something special. 
with the mask, you started off with a full face mask that I'd imagine was a little tough to breathe in, probably some sight issues. But over the years, the mask changed. How did that? How did those changes to the mask come about over time? Um, with the mask, of course, obviously you can't see my face, so it made me a much better performer because I had to use my body language to evoke the emotion that I wanted to. And our business, just like virtually every other form of entertainment, is getting getting people emotionally involved and invested. And hopefully getting them to feel the emotion that you want at the time that you want. Um, so I had to figure out a way to do that, and I did it. I had a St. Bernard, and... I would watch, you know, just one day I'm watching the dog, you know, and she would tilt her head and tilt her head and tilt her head. I was like, you know, if she was curious, she'd tilt her head, whatever choice is always a head tilt. So that's what Kane, that's what Kane started doing. I started tilting my head. And then I think people started realizing when, when, when the dude in the mask tilts his head, something bad's about to happen. <laughs> so that became sort of a signature. Um, but it, at, at, at a point you realized, um, your face does play such an important role. There's only so much you can do. And that's actually the reason we took the mask off because um, I felt, and then Vince, I think, agreed with me, that the mask had become limiting. You know, what was cool about it was that there was mystique, there was mystery. People never knew quite what Kane was thinking. But at some point that sort of runs its course. That's why we actually decided to take the mask off. And the stuff, you know, the evolution of the mask in that respect from going to the full mask to, you know, to um, the mouth being open was really just, I think, working sort of in that direction, just giving me another tool to work with. So you mentioned uh, you've mentioned Undertaker and you've mentioned Vader. Who are some of the other sort of big monster guys that have have been you've enjoyed working with and then having that sort of let them fight feel. Oh. <laughs> a big show for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, I think, you know, I think right now Braun Strowman is doing fantastic. And, uh, yeah. yeah. He's, he's doing a really great job and the company's doing well by him. Um, I would, I would think, you know, what, what's cool about big show is he's, he's, Maybe the only guy that uh, you know dwarfs me, so it, it's completely different. I, I don't. It's always easier for me to wrestle against a smaller guy because it becomes the David and Goliath story. Um, when you have two guys that are the same size, that's sometimes difficult because people don't buy you. Know, you get beat up. Well, they never see you get beat up, you know. And they're like, "Oh, why is he? You know, why is he down? You know." Um, I can do that with show because he's so, so big that, you know, people buy it. A lot of times, you know, people just, the audience just doesn't buy it. Bison Kane just get up and kill him, you know. Um, but with show, it's a little different, you know. People are like, oh, yeah, yeah. And the, 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 the big guy's beating up the little guy. The little guy happens to be, you know, 320 pounds. Uh, still, I'd have to say show would be the guy. Out of the other horror uh, characters that have appeared in WWE, 
uh, Boogeyman. Um, are there any that sort of stand out to you as like this? This was a fun one that that got some good mileage. Oh, uh, yeah, Papa Shango. Yeah, yeah. You know that whole thing, right? Lighting people's boots on fire in the dark, <laughs> all the voodoo stuff. Um, yeah, that I think Papa Shango would be the one. And then of course Taker. I mean, his whole thing. You know, yeah. The amazing thing about Undertaker is, you know, the fact that. Um, he had he had many evolutions himself, um, but you know initially it's like okay he he's like he's like a dead guy wrestling, you know, and so the concept's like well that that that's sort of silly, but then he did it so well that you know it's just awesome, you know, and then of course you know because originally he didn't have like all you know all the the uh, uh, the entrance with the lightning and all that stuff yeah. you know but he was just so good at it that people people took it seriously it's like oh my gosh you know i remember watching it going ooh this guy this dude's creepy man you know and then of course um as it evolved it became just i mean just so much larger than life and you mentioned earlier that the people were just waiting for Kane and Undertaker, excuse me, Kane and Undertaker <laughs> to team up. Uh, when that team up finally happened, when the Brothers of Destruction finally gelled and, and went on a rampage, how did that feel getting to work really with him? I mean, yeah, it was, and, and yeah, it was cool. Yeah, it was he, awesome. Just to decide, I mean, everybody sitting here knows seeing these two guys walk out on the stage, I mean, it was powerful. Yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome. Um, I'm telling funny stories today. I'll tell another one. So, uh, this was what, remember when Taker was chewing tobacco? American, you know, American yeah, biker. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we had, we had, a, we had a brand new, uh, um, a brand new production assistant and she's still with the company now. So she actually gives me a hard time all the time. But back then, this is like her first day and her first, her first shot is a walk with Kane and the Undertaker. Okay, and Mark's like, um, you know, let's let's do something a little different because you know we always just everybody just walks, right? So <laughs> we walk out of this room, and I've got like his chewing tobacco, and I'm like, hey man, you know, you forgot your tobacco, and he grabs it, and yeah, thanks, bro, and walks off. So the production assistant, you know, she goes, uh, she they had instructed her that everything with us needed to be very serious, so <laughs> she says. Uh, she says, um, like that was, uh, that was really good. Um, but this time, um, can we do it again? And, um, maybe not like, um, throw anything. And Taker just goes, no, that one was fine. She's like, okay, it's around. <laughs> but he was, he's awesome. So after portraying Kane for a number of years in the WWE, you, got the opportunity to portray a different character in film. How did the first See No Evil come about? I was, you know, Vince, hey, would you like to do a movie? Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Yes, I would. <laughs> and at the time, what had happened was, yeah, WWE had opened WWE Studios. And um, See No Evil was the first movie. We filmed it in Australia on the Gold Coast, Took about two weeks, or I'm sorry, took about two months uh, to film. Um, it was all on a sound stage. You know, I learned a lot about the uh, about 
the movie business. It's uh, movie magic is awesome. I'll never forget watching, you know, the dailies, which are the, the stuff that they've shot the day before and just thinking to myself, Oh my God, this is awful. You know, because before the editors and everybody get hold of it, you know, it just, it doesn't look very good, frankly, you know, and they've got to go through and, you know, there was stuff like, well, you know, what's this thing, you know, there's something over there. It's like, Oh, well, we're just, we'll just paint it out. I'm like, paint it out, you know, but with the, with the CGI and all that. And then even like the fight scenes, you know, they speed the frame rate up. So it looks faster, you know? Um, so it was an amazing experience. Uh, and, um, it, you know, it, it I think it turned out pretty well. You know, I mean, we had we had some commercial success with it, and uh, you know, the movie itself I think was you know it was good. It was our first one, so everybody's pretty happy with it. I mean, you look at Jacob Goodnight, and obviously you see you know Kane there in the character, but he is a different character. What was your process for for playing you know a similar type of big monster, but in a completely different way? Uh. So Jacob Goodnight is, uh, I mean, it's psycho. It's the same, you know, mom, mom is the real villain. You know, I mean, he's much more physical and, uh, intense, uh, physically intense and intimidating character, but nevertheless, it's the same story. Um, so I think again, I think what I was able to do, hopefully, was use my body language and um, use my physicality because, you know, Jacob doesn't talk very much um, to be able to um, get across the point that I that wanted to get across. And then we, you know, in, in both movies, actually, sorry to spoil it, there's a number two. <laughs> um, but in both movies, we also have a scene which shows that, yeah, Jacob isn't really the bad guy, you know. Um, and you see that sort of very naive, childlike um, inner person that's inside him and, you know, try to bring that out a little bit. And that movie was, was with his mom um, you know, right before right before he threw her on a cross of nails. Um, <laughs> but there's, you know, it was, it was hopefully there's some heartstring stuff happened right before that. Did you find a lot of difference in the physicality of making a movie versus the physicality of the wrestling ring? Yeah, we're we're a little rougher in the wrestling ring. <laughs> you know, um and that's just that's sort of what I'm used to, you know. So, um but you know, and and of course, I would always gravitate more to the stunt people because we had a natural connection. Um we did some pretty cool, you know, we did some pretty cool stuff like I was on wires at one point. Um there was there's in, in the final scene you know, Jacob tumbles off of a tumbles off the hotel and they have me on wires, you know, and it's like two stories up and that stunk because it was like all day. So I'm just hanging there in a harness, like just all day. Okay. So that stunk. And then, um, gosh, what do they call the thing? You guys know your movie people. Uh, the thing is step on, it shoots you up into the air. It's got the height, you know, it's what's that? Yeah, it's a catapult, but I forget. There's it's like a, a hydraulic. Yeah, there's a name for whatever it is. Like when you see guys step on landmines, they get thrown up and shot around. You know, so uh, I forget. I forget the name of it. But in any case, there's a trick to using that thing. So I had one of the one of the guys. You know, I I throw him and he's he gets shot off of it into a wall. So we go over. I wanted to try it. 
So we go over to the, where the stun guys are. Oh, and I, also, I had to learn to throw the hook. Okay, so I actually had to, like, lasso and, and learn to do that um, without breaking it because it was it was a resin. Okay, it wasn't, you know, be do it. You know, an actual chain one. I'm throwing it at people, so we didn't figure it'd be a good idea to throw a big metal <laughs> chain at people. Um, but yeah, so this, this catapult deal, man, the trick to it is when you step on it, you have to keep your knee locked. Because if you don't keep your knee locked, your leg will collapse because it's got so much force. And, uh, you know, um, they, they call it a shin biter because when your knee collapses, your other shin's coming up and that thing will hit it and just, yeah, it hurts. Um, but yeah, of course, so the first time I did it, I, <laughs> the first time I did it, I didn't keep my knee locked. My shin didn't get hit, but what happened was I was going to do like, <laughs> I was going to do like Superman and fly across the room onto, uh, onto mats. I flew a foot. I went like, bam, <laughs> my face. <laughs> so some people, some people are awesome and, uh, you know, they're, they're very much underappreciated in the movie industry, I think. Now, in WWE, for the promotion of the first Cino no Evil, uh, Kane, Kane did a whole <laughs> May 19th right. uh, gimmick. How, how was that presented to you and, and sort of carried out? It was greatest market idea ever. Because the deal with May 19th is we didn't tell the audience what it was, except that eventually that became the release date of the movie. Um, but you know, there's something that happened in Kane's life on May 19th that would get him to freak out whenever, whenever he would hear May 19th. So, you know, I just would beat everybody up and just go nuts on people and all that stuff. Um, and then we finally found out that was when the house, you know, and going back to the mythology, that was when the house burnt down. But, you know, I mean, who else would think, and, and people would start chanting May 19th to get me to go off. Right. So, you know, you actually have. Uh, an arena full of people chanting May 19th, which just happens to coincide with the release date of an upcoming movie. That's pretty brilliant. <laughs> was, was there ever any talk of Jacob Goodnight actually appearing in WWE? I never wanted that. You know, we did the deal like with, with the great colleague with the hook, you right. know, but I, I never wanted that because, you know, they're separate characters. And I think it's important to keep the integrity of, you know, um, of the set of different characters. I mean, that would be like having a movie and, you know, so-and-so plays this, you know, I mean, in tongue and cheek, it's okay. But so-and-so plays this in another movie and then all of a sudden he pops in as that. Well, that, that destroys the illusion, yeah. you know, to some extent that you're, and then that's really what, I mean, that's what all it is, right? It's an illusion. You're trying to get all of us to buy into that. And anytime that we stop and think and go, wait a second, the illusion's been destroyed, yeah. and it's very hard to get back into it. It would have been like having RoboCop walk out to the ring. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> that never happened. <laughs> Maybe, I think most of us wish that happened. <laughs> uh, so, See No Evil did get a sequel, Yep. and it got a, a pretty loaded cast on that one. A lot of horror luminaries, Daniel Harris, Catherine Isabel, uh, Michael Eklund, who's here this Michael's weekend. Here. yep. And so when See No Evil, because I, I enjoyed it. I love that movie. I think it's a super solid slasher movie. It's it's definitely a, a regular watch for me. Uh, at what point did you realize, like, okay, See No Evil did what we wanted it to do, and now it's time for another one? It, it, <laughs> to me, it took too long because, you know, like I said, we've had some commercial success with, 
with the first one, and there'd always been plans to do another one, and then it just never happened. I mean, it's like what seven years? Eight, eight years. Eight two thousand six yeah. is when the first one came out. Two thousand fourteen. Yeah. So. Second. Um, at so at one point, I just wrote it off. I was like, well, that's never going to happen. We're never going to do another one. Seriously, like that's you know, it's just too late. Um, but you know, um, what what's happened with WWE Studios and WWE Films is they've changed their their philosophy. Uh, as far as, you know, now, uh, we do a lot more because this is how the, you know, this is how the entire industry is going is direct to the consumer as opposed to theatrical releases. Um, and, you know, so at some point, I, I know they wanted to do another one. Of course, when you look at it from, from a business standpoint, the horror genre is very lucrative compared to many of the other genres. And, uh, um, I didn't know who the, the, Jen and Sylvia Saska were before the movie. Um, but I think they found the right directors for it, you know? Um, and so then the thing, you know, came together, but this time, man, so we shot, we shot see no evil to including prep time, four weeks. That's oh, what we, wow. that's what we do with all our movies. Now um, we shoot most of them up in Vancouver because we're used to working with the production company there. They know how we do stuff. I was in another movie, Countdown, with Dolph Ziggler. Um, again, I was there a week. You know, we, they, the actual shoot time is three weeks, a week of preparation and three weeks of shooting time. And, I mean, they, they, they crank it out, but, you know, it's good content. Um, so, you know, yeah, I was seeing people too. I was, I was excited, and then, you know, you meet Jen and Sylvia and it's like, oh, okay, this is going to be a lot of fun because they're a lot of fun. Yeah. They, they've uh, definitely got it. If, if you're not familiar with the Saska sisters, give them a, give them a Google and check out their stuff. They, they've got an incredible style yeah. and they were right for the follow-up. Absolutely. Yeah. So from your personal horror collection, uh, do you have any favorites? Are there any things that uh, sort of inspire you throughout your career, whether it was you know, Evil or your WWE career? Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Because here's the thing. Um, monsters are sort of, you know, monsters are scary, but you can get away from them. The really scary monsters are the ones that are smarter than you are, like Hannibal Lecter, because you can't get away from them. And um, actually, I was talking about this yesterday, but you guys remember the movie in the book Red Dragon by Thomas Harris, which was a prequel. Sorry, my phone keeps going off, but it was a prequel to uh, Silence of the Lambs. Well, a lot of people said, well, when Kane took off the mask, why, why wasn't he all scarred up and burnt? Okay, and people are like, you know, this doesn't make any sense. Because our business moved so quickly, we didn't, we mentioned it, but we never really delved into it to the point that I wanted to. But the main. The antagonist in Red Dragon, uh, in the movie, I, sorry to criticize people, in the movie they didn't really do the guy justice because Ralph Ralph Fiennes plays him, and Ralph Fiennes is, you know, in the book the guy's my size. Okay, he's huge. He's six foot six and he's two hundred and seventy five pounds. Okay, he's physically imposing, and he just basically tears people apart. Okay, well the thing is. Um, the guy was born with a cleft palate, and it's repaired, so you really can't see anything had been ever been wrong with him. But then he goes, he lives with his grandmother, who's extremely abusive, and he develops problems, and 
he is convinced that he is horribly disfigured, despite the fact that, that later on he grows mustache and can't, you can't even see a scar. Nothing. So he develops this character called the Red Dragon, which is this thing that lives inside of him, of course, that, you know, when his grandmother's being abusive, that's what comes out as far as protecting him. Okay, and there's a scene, there's a scene in, in, in the book, man, where it's like, you know, the Red Dragon talks to him. And there's a scene in the book where he's, he's military pressing 315 pounds, which is a lot of weight, and he can't do it. But the Red Dragon, Red Dragon comes out and basically says, you know, you're a wuss, you know, and let, watch me. And it's like he becomes possessed, and he's repping out with 315 pounds, which if you ever lifted weights, is like, oh, my God. Um, but the scary thing about the guy was there's nothing wrong with him. He's a completely normal human being, except for the fact that his head's all screwed up. How scary would it be if you had a guy who lost his family in a fire when he was a kid? Nothing happened to him, but he was convinced that because of that fire, he was horribly scarred and had to wear a mask. That's what was so scary when Kane took the mask off, was he became, he went from being a physical monster to being a psychological monster. And the same with a guy like Hannibal Lecter. You know, that scene, dude, where he, where the first time you see Sir Anthony Hopkins and he's walking out of the shadows, it's like, you know, there, there's nothing. He doesn't do anything. It's just, oh, my God. <laughs> you know? Um, and, and to me, those, you know, psychological thrillers like that are, are what really gets me. Is there anything else you'd like to throw out there for the audience before we wrap this thing up? No. I'm good. I appreciate you guys coming. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming out to DragonCon. Ladies and gentlemen, the devil's favorite demon, Kane. And I should plug, I will be over at Walk of Fame, getting back over there as soon as I can, so come by and see me, please. Thank you guys very much. Appreciate it. Oh, you guys, it, I, lo- I love that conversation. Kane was incredible. Uh, he was very, very nice to me afterwards. He, he thanked me and, and was very gracious. And then uh, I'll tell you the, the whole story of the Steamboat Kane panel when the time comes for that. But just couldn't have been a lovelier guy. And it kills me that that audio is not better. Uh, there's nothing I can do about it. And uh, I wasn't going to not post it, but I, I, man, I worked so hard to try and clean that thing up. And there's just only so much you can do when you've got a shitty source recording. Uh, But I've got a new recorder and in the future, you know, I'll have it. I I don't know what else to say. I'm, I'm really bummed out that that that's not better than what it is. But I hope you guys were able to enjoy it. I hope you... I uh, had fun listening to Kane share stories of, uh, you know, stuff that, that maybe people haven't heard before. I tried to ask some questions and keep things on a track that I felt like was unique to a panel called The Horror of Kane. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe someday I will get to talk to him again. Who knows? Who knows? Anything is possible, uh, in the world. You just keep, keep trying. I would love to talk to that guy again. He was great. 
So, Halloween is in full effect. It is not just one day, it is an entire month, and we are on the sixth day of that month, and I hope you're doing Halloween stuff and having a good time. Please check out the Casket Creatures and the Mystery Men on Facebook. They've got cool stuff going on in October. As you know, the Mystery Men provide our interstitial music, and the Casket Creatures provide Ryan Cadaver, who will be on a couple of key episodes this month. Keep an eye out. I love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Needless Things Podcast. You're the best. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, or in the ears of a Trader Vic's employee. And of course, it's at needlessthingssite.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh Uh-huh.